What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today's podcast is also a video. And I am joined by long-lost brother Danny Vega and special guest and avid hunter and fisher, genetic gazillion, I don't know, what, 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 do, you, what do you go by? Mastermind. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> the man, Dr. Anthony J. We're at the Sykes Farms. we got the beautiful river behind us. This is my idea of the perfect podcast video studio setup. Drinking our coffees, enjoying the sunrise and the birds chirping. How y'all doing? Amazing. Amazing. It's awesome. Great experience. Good to relax a little. You killed a pig last night. We caught fish got yesterday. A pig, got a wild hog. Yeah, I miss, it doesn't get any better than this. Yeah, I caught my yeah. first crappie. You got your first spotted bass, probably. Yeah. That you yeah. know of. Bunch of spotted bass. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony, awesome. he, he crushed it yesterday with the fishing. Yeah, he, he was he was making us look bad for sure. He <laughs> killed it. We, we ate because of him. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so this is for any of y'all that are listening. This is also going to be on video. For any of you that are viewing, this is also going to be on audio. Um, and basically, you've analyzed both of our raw genetic data, and we're going to go over what those different data points mean, what we can learn from it, how we can apply it to our lives. Just want yeah. to dive in. Yeah, and I'll try and simplify it. So I do DNA consulting. I have a consulting company. And, you know, the goal, the main goal for me, I'm not really interested in what your eye color is, you know, <laughs> like what your taste buds are doing with cilantro, <laughs> the mosquito bite size, right, some of these silly things that a lot of times are on the 23andMe reports and whatnot. I'm interested in diving in further, but you know, really understanding, yeah, what your genetic issues are in terms of your diet, in terms of your training, in terms of your sleep, in terms of whatever I find, detox, mm -hmm. and then how can we fix them? That's the big thing. And I like to put it in context because a lot of people, a lot of these software reports, they don't, there's a big difference between male and female. Right? You have to consider that. There's a big difference between, and a software report could do that, but they're not doing that currently. There's a big difference between an older person and a younger person and what their goals are, what their past history is in terms of their genetics. You know, if you've got like a risk for thyroid problems and you've already had your thyroid gland removed or something real extreme, like that should be a big factor in the way I'm thinking about your DNA and what we should do about it, right? Mm -hmm. So all of those things kind of come into play. I mean, you're a bodybuilder, Robert. That's a factor. Danny. <laughs> I'm just <Whatever>. kidding. <laughs> He's a beast. <laughs> you're just a general beast. <laughs> Hong Kong over here. It, but, you know, I'm thinking about goals. In fact, I usually ask people, what, what are your goals? What you, you know, what's your past health issues? That sort of thing. So I can actually understand that and put it in context. But for today... It's tricky because I'm analyzing two at the same time, so we're juggling a little bit. It's like playing two games of chess at the same time. But I think we should start with the brain because it's an easy place to start to have it pulled up. Yeah. And you can I mean, tell me that I'm smarter than Danny, right? You're <laughs> no, you guys, you guys both have awesome uh, genetics in terms of mental health and longevity. I kind of lump the two together because obviously if you get early onset Alzheimer's or something, you have a longevity issue, and it's just a convenient way for me to categorize it. But... I mean, both of you guys have exceptional genetics in terms of your brains, and it starts with APOE. Mm -hmm. You guys have both heard of APOE. I'm sure your audience has as well. APOE is a cholesterol and DHA transporter, in the, and it's super important because 
lot of people don't realize how important DHA is for your brain, just functionally. I mean, there's so much bad press around cholesterol that people get lost in this idea that cholesterol bad, right? mm -hmm. and they don't think, oh wait, my brain is mostly cholesterol. If you dehydrate that thing and you weigh out the different components, I mean, literally about a third of your brain is cholesterol. And DH and, e and ApoE, this gene, is you know, like I say, critically important for moving that cholesterol around in your brain. So it's a big Alzheimer's risk. If you've got a plus plus ApoE4, meaning you've got the bad version for ApoE4 from both of your parents, right? You get have literally a 70% chance of getting Alzheimer's. Wow. So it's plus plus ApoE4. ApoE4. So there's different versions, right? So there's ApoA, there's ApoB, there's ApoC. Obviously, there's ApoE. Mm -hmm. These are all different cholesterol transporters. Because cholesterol floats on water, right? So you can't get it in your blood unless you have these protein, these big balls of protein that can move it around your blood. ApoE is just one of those. And then, of course, there's ApoE2, there's ApoE3, there's ApoE4. The best version is ApoE3. Mm -hmm. And I should actually step back and even just for background say, in your cells, you've got two copies of DNA. One from your mother, one from your father. Except your egg and sperm cells. It's kind of an interesting way to think about this. Egg and sperm cells only have one copy of DNA. Did you know that? No. So it's 50-50 either yeah, way? Yeah. So you can ha it can have either copy of your DNA. Okay. And it can kind of mix and match. And then when the egg and sperm cell unite, you got two copies. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's where you get the whole two copies of DNA in every cell in your body. And then so that's why we're looking at quote-unquote plus 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 minus 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 being normal right, right. Like most people have a quote-unquote minus minus it's an arbitrary thing to say but that's what that would mean plus plus would mean you've got a bad version from your mother a bad version of the gene from your father does that make sense so mm -hmm. far yep. I don't want to get too too far in and then realize I didn't explain no no the good. background the basis yep. so with you guys both you've both got ApoE 3 3 slash 3 meaning Minus minus, meaning the best version you can have. Awesome. Meaning you don't have these early onset Alzheimer's risks and things like that. And I also check, um, I check for a couple other categories because cholesterol is not the only thing that's uh, going to give rise to Alzheimer's risk. Right? And by the way, if you happen to have ApoE4, you know, you're watching this and you know your 23andMe data, you've done this, um, you should definitely take DHA every day, probably two or three grams preferably phospholipid form, triglyceride form, something like that, like fish eggs, you know, or some supplement that's high quality DHA. And what constitutes high quality? Because there's a lot of misconception around that. Yeah, well, DHA is easily oxidized. It has double bonds. It's polyunsaturated, meaning there's places that are, you know, that right have double for bonds. rust. Right for rust, right. So, you know, again, if you've got the 4-4, you definitely want to be in on the DHA. Honestly, I like to see people eating plenty of cholesterol, egg yolks, things like that with the DHA, uh, with the ApoE4. But again, you guys don't have it, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. Another category, so the cholesterol is a category. Another category I look at is sugar, right? How does your brain deal with sugar? If you've got diabetes, you have a threefold increased risk of getting Alzheimer's. There's clearly a connection between how your brain deals with carbs and your brain function. Mm -hmm. Right? And you guys also have a good version of a gene called FOXO3, F-O-X-O3. Oh, yeah. It's basically how does your brain deal with sugar? I mean, FOXO3 is a 
a master regulator, quote unquote, it's involved in a lot of different things. But what I use it for in the brain is a metric for how your brain handles sugar. You guys both do exceptionally well. And that's associated with increased longevity. So that's one of the big genes that you look for in terms of people that are going to live to 100 and predicting that. Yeah. Okay. Fox 03. And again, you guys have good versions of that. So that's another category. Check, boom, you're good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's distinct from how your, how your body deals with carbs, right? Like some people, their brain can handle carbs pretty well, but then below the neck, terrible. They get diabetes, they have insulin resistance, all that. It's kind of a separate topic. I have a question though. This, this is, it seems relevant. Like when part of the reason why people have insulin resistance and it's like, for instance, something like gluten, gluten can cause insulin resistance and it can also cause leaky gut. So I would assume it, it wouldn't matter as much how we deal with it genetically if things are leaking out of the gut and going up and crossing the blood brain barrier. Correct. Right. Yeah. If you've got some food sensitivity and you're not uh, you're not meticulous about being cautious with those foods, you're, you're risking your brain health and you're risking your pancreas, your muscle, your adipocytes, your fat cells, just your overall body health for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And another category. So we talk cholesterol. We talk sugar. Right? Another category I think about when I'm thinking about the brain, in terms of Alzheimer's at least, is uh, heavy metals. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I try and figure out how does your brain deal with heavy metals because there's clearly a connection with Alzheimer's. Not a lot of people have that risk, but if you do, I'm worried about aluminums. They bioaccumulate, you know? That's one of these issues that people overlook because a lot of times in scientific studies they test something like aluminum or heavy metals and they find the quote-unquote toxicity, but then the study's over and then that's it. But they don't realize there's buildup that's going on over time that, accumu- that accumulation can cause damage. So I'm looking at genes like transferrin, it's called TF, you know, for example, and some other heavy metal related genes. And Robert, yours are awesome in this regard, but Danny, this is where you're, you're struggling. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, it just means you've gotta be careful with heavy metals, aluminum, cadmium, cobalt, chromium, whatever, um, mercury, you know, and just be aware that even iron, in fact, I mean, transferring the gene is directly related to iron. So the kind of the worst combination would be if you had the transferring gene issue, which you have. Mm-hmm. In other words, your brain's not dealing with metals very well. They're ten- they tend to accumulate a little bit easier. And you've got a hemochromatosis gene, meaning your blood levels of iron are real high. That's a bad combo because that's something you'd really want to watch, right? And that also leads to, to diabetes too, right? With the, the hemochromatosis, you, there's a big link with the iron and the... It's connected, yeah. But thankfully, I mean, I'm looking ahead a little bit, but you don't have the hemochromatosis risk at all. Okay. Now, Robert, you did have the carrier gene for hemochromatosis, so you don't have the plus plus, but you've got a plus minus. Mm-hmm. So you, they call that a carrier, meaning, you know, if your wife also has it, your kids could have it, that sort of thing. And that's not a really big problem. It just means you want to keep an eye on your iron. Even at plus minus, usually you are higher on your ferritin and your iron. It's it's not over the range usually, it's right up on the top of the range and that's risky because having high iron is oxidative. It's just like pipes, just like we were talking about before. And that's risky for a whole host of things, mostly your blood vessel health, including your brain health. Your brain has plumbing too. Mm-hmm. So for you, not a huge concern, especially because you don't have the Alzheimer's risk gene relating to iron like Danny does. 
So you guys are kind of, it's, it's still a good situation here because yeah, you've got this risk, but you can easily mitigate it. You're probably not ingesting a lot of heavy metals. A lot we of don't Americans need to go out of our way to eat iron, basically. Yeah. 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 So exactly. So again, awesome. You know, you guys are awesome in this regard. And then nothing else, nothing too crazy other than that came up in my genetic screen. The only one I want to point out was for Danny. You've got longer telomeres genetically. So you have plus plus for long telomeres. You get that with the genetics? I didn't Correct. know that. Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay. Yep, and it's That's very predictive. Thing. It's very predictive, yeah. And you did not have that. Oh, no, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you can help your telomeres. Mostly the, the gene utilizes zinc. Mm -hmm. So for you, I would say like, as you age, zinc is Taking more of a priority zinc. to keep your DNA longer. So just for your audience, and they probably know this, so I'll be real brief, but you know, your DNA literally shrinks as you age. You can take a child's DNA, you can take an 80-year-old's DNA, and you can look at them, and you can tell which one came from the child and which one came from the 80-year-old just based on the length of the DNA because it physically shortens. Um, so you want to have longer DNA. That's an indicator of biological health, cellular longevity, that sort of thing. So Danny has an advantage just based on his genetics for telomere length plus plus. And the telo years is just taking that and telling, putting a number on it and saying yep. like, okay, the shorter they get, the older you are, I guess, physically, according to your genetics. According to your cells. According to your cells. Exactly. Okay. And telo years, they use your blood cells. So that's another interesting thing is your brain telomeres are going to be different than your skin telomeres. Like, for example, maybe you're out in the sun, you're just getting fried all the time. Your telomeres in your skin are going to be really short, and that may or may not impact the rest of your body. So sometimes when you study these things, it can be kind of messy mm -hmm. because different research groups are taking different samples from different areas of people's bodies, right? Oh. Like if I took your... Your, if we lifted up your shirt and took a skin sample and we measured your telomeres and then I took it from your arm or your, even your hand which is more exposed to sun you can see how there might be variation even within your own body so that's why they say tele years is not that accurate because it's some people do I think, it's, I think it's pretty accurate because they're taking blood and they've done a lot of really good you know uh, validation on that okay but it can it can be a little bit iffy right but it's the best you can do you know, I think it's a good, t I think it's a great test personally. Um, and that's, that's true of every scientific study, just so people know. I mean, you could, you can be picky and you can criticize literally any test. You can criticize blood glucose tests. Yeah. You, can you can find what you want to look <laughs> for or not look and, for. And how much variation yeah. and, and how, what timing you should have. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's definitely flaws on literally every scientific analysis. And so you, it's good to be aware of those, but I wouldn't overemphasize them and say like the telomeres test is useless. You know, mm -hmm. there's a time and place, and I, I actually appreciate it. But again, that's pretty much it in terms of longevity and mental health. Um, I also look at the sirtuin gene, you know, and that's one that's really hot right now because people are talking about resveratrol. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I'm not a big fan of resveratrol. It's an estrogen, it, it can act like estrogen. So it has a lot of benefits. It also has estrogenic impacts. There's other ways to activate sirtuin without activating the estrogen system. Now, when people drink wine, for instance, for the resveratrol, is that at a high enough dosage? Nah, no, no. not to really not uh, to do mitigate. Anything. Yeah, and the reason I also like to check sirtuin is because sirtuin is a gene that indicates how your body responds to resveratrol. 
So one of the reasons resveratrol and some of these other compounds like curcumin and things are really beneficial is they activate this sirtuin. Mm-hmm. In right. specific and it's, people more than others. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So for some people with sirtuin gene issues, which you guys don't have, it's just another gene I'm looking at and I'm thinking, if you've got problems with that, let's supplement something, let's pull that lever and let's increase your longevity in a targeted way. But don't just buy resveratrol in bulk if you've got great genetics on your sirtuin gene because it's probably not going to do anything. You're going to spend hundreds of dollars per year for expensive down urine. the toilet. Yeah. And the, um, I'm trying to think with, I, I had a question on that because, so what is the marker that people are looking at to judge how the, the curcumin, for instance, would would help? Is that, are they looking at a genetic marker? Are they looking at an epigenetic marker? It's a great question. That's a complicated question. <laughs> <laughs> because like they, they say curcumin's, um, you know, anti-inflammatory, for instance. And then when you look at it, it doesn't seem to be absorbed for those benefits. Yeah, and curcumin is, I mean, I mean, I'm not super versed in the blood tests and all this, but it clearly is pulling levers in your body when they do these biopsies and things. So I'm a big fan of it. But there's always a difference between what happens in the cells and then what happens in your actual body. Yeah. And, you know, that can be kind of a gray area sometimes. But the other thing is, on my website, on my ajconsultingcompany.com website, I have a page called, it's ajconsultingcompany.com slash what I use, all Mm -hmm. one word, what I use. Best best page on the site. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's free. It's just information about which supplements I personally endorse. I don't, I don't really technically endorse them. I don't get paid for any of it. It's which products I just personally use. And I even have a list of different uh, supplements that activate sirtuin. So you've got a choice on there and you can kind of pick your favorite or whichever one you might already be taking. So that's another resource that I like people to know about. So you're saying that if you don't have the genetic issue, it's not like you're going to get you extra really credit for exactly. it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. It's good to know. So that's, I mean, as far as you guys are concerned, that's it for mental genes and longevity. I do also check, you know, different cannabis-related genes, especially the AKT1. That's the big risk gene for things like schizophrenia or paranoia, I guess. A lot of times scientists call it psychosis, mm-hmm. but in reality, it's pretty much just paranoia. Okay. <laughs> it's so just if you have that definition. gene, you shouldn't be taking a lot of usually, psychedelics? Usually, you got to be more careful. Yeah. If you have the bad version of the AKT1, that's the one that's the most robust. Other people talk about a couple other genes, but I don't see it in my personal experience often with my consulting clients. But when people have the bad version of the AKT1, they usually really have issues with uh, cannabis. Really bad trips. Just just <laughs> in terms of paranoia things. So it doesn't mean you can't have it. It just means be careful with it. Neither of doses. us have that. Neither of you guys have that. So I, I check other things too. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about all the genes that I'm eliminating with you guys because you have such great genes. Because we have a lot of other genes to talk about, other categories, including diet. So should we switch over to diet? Yeah, and like so, muscle building. Anything, anything, just any any issues, right? Well, what's interesting with you guys, you're both good with dairy, according to your genetics. Okay? Yeah. doesn't mean like go out and hammer a bunch of milk. It just means <laughs> you, you're better than most people in terms of dealing with dairy. As opposed to Ben, right? Ben didn't have good dairy. Yeah, the dairy issue. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people do. And what's interesting, if you've got the genetic issue that disposes you to have dairy sensitivity, sometimes it's casein, sometimes it's lactose. But I always tell people avoid the dairy proteins and the sugars if you've got that gene issue. Like the whey proteins and whatnot. 
Yeah, but more more so like the cheeses and the yogurts. But although those are usually have microorganisms, mm -hmm. you know, and they're breaking some of that stuff down, they can usually get away with it. But certainly drinking milk and, you know, and supplementing straight casein. Something yeah, that's, something that's fermented is going to eat a lot of it, that sugar. So Exactly. Okay. So fermentation really helps in so those nothing cases. with added sugars, like most milks have a bunch of added sugars. Yeah, and even Yogurts like like, like another good example in a practical in practical terms is if if you've got the dairy sensitivity gene, I don't want you to have too much dairy. I want you to be real careful because you're going to get inflammation in your gut. So if you've got a choice between heavy cream for your coffee and half and half, choose the heavy cream. Half and half has protein, meaning there is going to be there's going to be casein in there. So those kind of choices that helps to dictate those sorts of things. But again, you guys are good there. Um, you guys both have an interesting gene that's not super common. It's uh, a plus plus for G6PC2. It's a glucose 6-phosphate uh, gene relating to how your bodies deal with glucose, and you don't do that properly. So <laughs> we don't do it properly? You don't do it as well as the average person, and that's actually fairly rare, and it's funny, both are beasts, and you both have that same gene. We both have really issue, good And you both do a lot of keto and all yeah. this, so I feel like you're high responders to keto, which is, which is great. And, uh, you know, and, and the other thing is, if you've got glucose, it gets broken down into two pyruvates. It gets basically split in half, and then there's two pyruvates in your cell. And then that gets shuttled into the mitochondria. And then it gets, you know, put into the citric acid cycle and all this, and you get 30 ATPs out of that, right? So you get a couple ATPs outside of the mitochondria, and then you can make lactic acid, or you can shuttle the pyruvate into the mitochondria and make tons of ATP, right, with the mitochondria and with oxygen. But stepping way, 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 way up on that, that whole process, just starting with glucose, the very first step is to tag it with a phosphate, glucose six phosphate at position six, right? Mm -hmm. You guys have problems with that very first step. Uh, What's interesting is fructose feeds into this whole cycle of, you know, breaking down glucose and fructose kind of, it jumps in, you know, it's like if you're on the interstate, you can jump in, you've got this huge traffic jam at exit one, two, and three. You know, you guys can jump in with fructose at, at exit four or five and come onto the interstate ahead of the traffic jam. So fructose, if for some reason you wanted some carbs, you know, Go with the fructose, fructose would actually be better in your case for something your body can utilize better. That's good to know. Doesn't mean you have to have it, right? It's right. just glucose Given is going to be more problematic. So gotcha. fruit, things like that would be, again, better than something high in glucose. So it's also really ironic with both of you guys is you don't have a full-blown sweet tooth according to your genetics and I check for people's sweet tooth genes because it doesn't mean sugar is better or worse for you it just means you're gonna have more struggle avoiding it and you guys both have plus minus for sweet tooth so you have a little bit of a sweet tooth so it is more of a pull for you guys some people have multiple sweet tooth genes plus plus yeah. and it's like cocaine I mean sugar is like cocaine for those people and they tell me you know it's a real struggle struggle for them even after they've kind of like adapted to keto and their it's palates still changed, hard. it's still it's harder. still harder for them. So epigenetics is not as big of a factor with them. It's not, not as big, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that doesn't address whether sugar is good or bad. It just addresses how your brain handles the the feeling of sugar, of having sugar. So that it's addictive the difference between being like a, 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 an abstainer versus like a limiter. You'd have to good be point. an, abst an yeah. abstainer. Yeah. yeah. It explains our nut butter issues. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, and then, so talking just to Danny specifically for a minute, you have a higher frequency of AFib. I don't know oh, if you've ever had my like dad has it. Yeah, my dad. I've never had it to my knowledge, but my dad has has had electrical issues and 
keto has improved that. He he was on um, Sodalol, which okay. is like for AFib. Yeah, yeah. And he, he used to have really bad AFib. Yeah, yeah. And it's gone. Yeah, so you got the gene from him. You have a plus plus, so you, oh, wow. your mother at least carries it as well. But the gene, it's called PPRX1. It's a creatine kinase related gene. So creatine is actually really important for you to prevent AFib and heart problems and wow. your dad as well. I'm gonna get back on that then. And that's probably why your dad does better on keto because keto is, you know, you're not burning sugar. Your heart actually prefers, prefers to burn fat. I don't know if you knew this. So like if you, if you have heart cells in a dish and you give them proteins, carbs, and fat, it'll actually preferentially burn fat. Wow. Whereas your brain, if you do the same thing with your brain, it'll preferentially burn c carbs. What if you, you know, they've never tested ketones, but I would assume that ketones, they would prefer ketones over. Probably. But you can't yeah. do In that. The brain? Then you could do that. You could isolate ketones. That would, you could replace fat with just the ketones. The thing is, ethically, I don't know. No, I'm just talking about in dishes. Oh, right? okay, okay. Like what you do is you just isolate certain populations of cells. So the immune system is really unique in this regard too, and this is this goes back to the whole mTOR rapamycin thing. If you take the immune cells and you put those in a dish, and you add proteins, carbs, and fats, and which ones do the immune cells burn? They burn protein. They prefer protein. Wow. So if you're super low on protein for too long, your immune system starts to struggle, like sputter out. You know. That would explain why a lot of competitors that are, you know, like last month of a competition with really low protein, are more susceptible to being sick. Yeah, yeah, and and the other thing about your dad is he's probably eating more more meat when he's on keto. Yeah, yes, and that's get so he's getting more creatine because meat has a lot of creatine. For you, honestly, I just recommend supplementing creatine. I would be consistent with that because oh, yeah. your heart might benefit. Yeah, <laughs> I can give you these notes after too, so no worries. Okay, so What's a again, good dose is like five grams. I a would day? do five grams. Five grams yeah, creatine, just, just monohydrate. I saw it in the in the pantry the other day. I was like, oh, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's good for your for your brain, it's good for a lot of different aspects, but for you particularly, it's important. And again, that was kind of just switching over to Danny. I want to stay on Danny for just one second, yeah, Robert, yeah. because Danny, you also have a gene that gives you uh, uh, higher CRP levels. You're more prone to high CRP. Plus plus. The gene is called HNF1 alpha. It's kind of unique, actually. It's involved in glucose transport, so sugar can trigger. Uh, C-reactive protein for you a lot more so than the average person. Wow. So that's something to keep in mind. If your CRP is really high, be really careful with carbs, especially, and I know you already are, so I'm not really concerned, but it's good to know. And It's like a tool in your toolbox. It's good to know. Right? Um, for you, Robert, switching over, you definitely had an interesting thyroid kind of yin-yang. You had like a risk for autoimmune thyroid, but then you had a protective gene that protects against autoimmune thyroid. So I'm not super worried about your thyroid, but it came up on my screen. Is so one maybe family more members. Than the other? Might, like, does one have more strength? Probably, but I don't know how to interpret it. You know, there's there's not enough studies. The problem with these genetic studies is they're just taking mixed bags of populations, and and then whatever comes out on top. You know, so you have to have a really substantial difference to come out on top of a mixed bag. Yeah. You know, and, and they find these things, I mean, but in terms of the interactions, it's almost impossible to predict, especially because you're probably getting your iodine, your seafood. Some people, the next person's probably not. So I need to get more than I do. Like Crystal doesn't like seafood, so I don't get as much seafood as I like. <laughs> we did yesterday. <laughs> oh, yeah, man, yeah. We did. Um, the other thing that you guys, let me see if you both had it, I can't remember. No, this is just specific to Robert, but you definitely had some weaker gut lining issues. 
hmm. you have a tendency to have a weaker gut lining. The gene is called ATG16L1. It just has to do with how thick your epithelial cells are lining your gut. It disposes you to Crohn's disease. I'm not worried about that with you. For the average American, I might be worried, but for you, because you had a couple plus pluses on the same gene, um, but for you, it's just more of a long-term risk. Like for example, if you had a choice between white rice and brown rice, you choose white rice because brown rice has the husk. It's harsher on your intestinal lining. You see? Yeah. Things like that it would be how you would approach that a problem. So from like a gut microbiome standpoint, is there anything that I need to be supplementing or consuming to? I don't. I, or is I, that I even think so. totally outside the equation? No, no, it's inside for sure. Yeah, because those those microbiome microorganisms they secrete different mucuses and they Maybe help. Glutamine. It's symbiosis. It's symbiotic. Yeah, I could you could do glutamine. I mean, I have a lot of different supplements on the, the what I use page. Like for example, prebiotics, where you feed the microbiome. That would help. I mean, the biggest thing is just avoid those harsh, you know, things like husks and hulls and yeah, fibers I, that are really. When raw. I eat sunflower seeds, which I don't do often, I just eat the whole thing. Like, oh I yeah. Just eat the husk and all. <laughs> Probably he, not a good once idea. He gets a little older. That's yeah, yeah. not happening. <laughs> all right. So yeah, and you know, it's one of those things you just. It's probably not going to play that big of a role with you because you're you're eating substantially healthier than the average person too. Um, but other than that, I mean, you guys had really good genetics in terms of diet and food-related issues. Um, I did some genetic tests, and they said that I was less likely to be able to absorb fat. And use that's fat your FTO gene. So, yeah, is it a lot of people talk about that? You had a plus minus a couple spots on your FTO gene. The gene is called fat transfer obesity, mm -hmm. and it's obviously related to obesity risk. But I don't think that's true. Like I find a lot of people that have the FTO gene issue, they can have worse version than you, plus plus versions. All over that gene, there's like four or five different spots, you know, on that same gene. And I find they still do awesome on keto. So I personally am not on board with that idea, that, that, that uh, interpretation. But what I do find, and I know I rag on cold showers on my YouTube channel, and I have a <laughs> reputation. Like, that's the one video people don't like that I made is basically complaining about cold showers being not that well validated in scientific mm -hmm. research. Saunas, awesome, super validated in scientific studies. Cold showers, actually pretty neutral in terms of health benefits. But, I mean, mental benefits, you know, that sort of thing. I'm even getting flack just for saying it right here with you. But the <laughs> FTO gene. If you've got problems with your FTO gene and you don't, you don't have major problems, you have plus minus, right? But if you've got plus plus, you've got two bad versions from both parents, then I do see cold showers being a lot more beneficial. Why just in my experience. Because that gene, the fat transfer obesity gene, it's involved in white fat being converted to brown fat. So when we're babies, we have a bunch of this stuff called brown fat. It's brown in color because it's loaded with mitochondria. And so it's actually healthy. So it actually, it's exactly like running your car and just spinning your wheels not yeah. going anywhere mm -hmm. the brown fat just basically burns heat burns energy for heat and doesn't create a bunch of fat you know it's not storing a bunch of fat so in reality brown fat is super healthy metabolically it's healthy for your metabolism and this fto gene is involved in converting white fat over to brown so does it's, it, it's does involved it in metabolism no it, no yeah it just yeah. acts like brown but it doesn't turn into brown correct and okay. i used to I used to, I rotated, when I was doing my PhD way back, I rotated in a lab with a guy, his name is Stephen Farmer. He was on my thesis committee and everything, and he, that's all he studies, full-time research on beige fat, it's called. 
So it's an intermediate between white and brown fat. And of course he was looking to develop drugs to basically initiate that process. They're looking at that for diabetes now. Yeah, yeah. It's so a with, target, but it's going to have side effects. There's always going to be issues artificially manipulating, I think. But With me being a plus minus, like what I see a measurable improvement if I incorporate more cold showers? Yes. Okay. That's that's the one. And that's basically going to increase my fats metabolism? Correct, exactly. Um, Throw that the, into my next competition prep, take some yeah, cold showers. I, I don't so. have that issue, so. man. I'm, I you feel like the issue. I'm always right. hot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know. And again, with the plus minus, not as strong. If you were plus plus, you'd be like, cold showers are unbelievable for my metabolism. You'd feel it. And again, that's pretty rare. So there are people that that hate me on YouTube because mm -hmm. I talk about cold showers not really being that beneficial. But usually those are people with the bad version of the FTO gene. So they do really feel benefits. But it's so rare. I, you know, I try and generalize sometimes on my YouTube, and it's probably too much. You know, there are specific cases where I actually do think cold showers are good. And you're more in that direction. And that cold, I mean, is a cold shower going to be just as effective as like a straight up ice bath? Because I can take cold showers, but I'm not a huge fan That's of a ice good baths. That's Ice baths are going to be better, but here's yeah. here's the ultimate. The ultimate is cryo. There's yeah. no question cryo, super well validated in the science. So as much as cold showers and ice baths and things are real weak in terms of science, the, the benefits are a lot weaker than people give the, I mean, really weak, you know, like... Even in terms of decreasing inflammation, all kinds of metabolic differences, there, there's really nothing there. But cryo does decrease inflammation, super well validated for everybody, you know, it has a lot of different health benefits. So that's a different story because it's so intense for your body. It really does trigger these pathways fully. I mean, you could sit in an ice bath for 30 minutes, right? Or you can do three minutes of cryo. Three minutes all the way. Yeah, and nobody's sitting in an ice bath for 30 minutes. Not a lot of people really do that. To yeah. be they're not being honest. If somebody says, I've been doing ice baths for the last five years, right, for 30 minutes a day, they're not being honest. Yeah. Or three times a week or whatever. People just aren't doing that. So you can manufacture weird situations that, that aren't really reality. Mm -hmm. And you could probably find scientific benefits, but people don't do that. So I don't really get too worked up about it yeah makes sense <laughs> so let's switch over to training if you guys don't mind and again I mean you guys have such exceptional genetics that especially you Robert frankly I mean your detox genes are really, <laughs> really exceptional <laughs> or maybe we should switch to <coughs> well let me let me start with training we'll do training and sleep and then we'll switch over to detox and maybe end on that okay sounds good um, because training is obviously important for you guys what's really interesting with you Robert you've got a plus plus for basically being an endurance athlete. Um, and that doesn't mean you can't build muscle. It just means usually higher volume is better for you to build muscle in my experience with people. And so I would, I mean, you can go crazy on the volume compared to the mo most people and continue to get muscle growth. Um, again, that's just my experience, but also based on your genetics. Whereas with you, Danny, you're more of a plus minus in that regard in terms of alpha actin and three, especially. You've, you, you know, you express alphactinin 3, but you're plus minus for it, meaning epigenetics are going to play a huge role in how much alphactinin 3, how much muscle ratcheting, how much power you're able to generate. You know, if you train your body to go in that direction, it'll go in that direction. If you train the other way, you can go in that okay. way. You're more flexible in terms yeah, but of your I training ability. And but I you tend to be power. Yeah, I tend to not for like sure. endurance. <laughs> and yeah. I don't do well with yeah. volume. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Robert, I think you would. Yeah, I've actually just recently, because I was doing a traditional bro split, so to speak, of one muscle group per day once a week, whereas now I've doubled it. I'm doing 
more frequency so each muscle group gets hit twice a week and I've noticed like I, I don't get sore that's another thing like crystal yeah, yeah. and everybody else I train with that work out with me and they'll get sore I literally never get sore yeah, no matter what no matter what I, I do better with frequency though with yeah high frequency because I can volume that I can handle at a time is less mm -hmm. so I do better if I just do it more frequently yeah it's a good point and Danny you I think we were talking about this before, but you have an increased tendency for muscle cramps. Is that oh, yeah. what the gene we were talking about? Yeah, yeah. Came up in your, it's called myogenic factor six, MYF six. They also call it Herculin. It's kind of <laughs> funny. Um, and what's really important for that gene, if you want to prevent muscle cramps, and that's pretty rare, by the way. Not, I almost never see people that have this gene that, that increases their risk for muscle cramps. But, but the most important thing is sleep. Okay. It ties into the circadian rhythm pathway, so as long as you're sleeping, I feel like your muscle cramp risk is really low. Most people would talk about magnesium here, but I think protein also, like protein metabolism ties into that same pathway. It's myogenic factor, right? It's involved in muscle building, so muscle recovery. That's why sleep is so important, right? That's why it ties into circadian rhythm, because as you sleep, your muscles are recovering. You know, you work them out, you tear them up, you rest, you recover, you rebuild them bigger and stronger. Mm -hmm. That the whole sleeping is obviously key, but so is protein. So magnesium is always great. It's anti-inflammatory. I think most people are deficient in it these days. But for you, in terms of the muscle cramps, you know, you get those cramps. Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> sleep now, and protein. If I, you know, would that have any anything to do with the reason why it seems like I can handle more protein than a lot of people? Because maybe my body needs it. Possibly, but also because you've built so much muscle over the years, your body needs it's it. True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> humble, humble brag. Humble <laughs> brag. I'm just huge, y'all. It's all good. <laughs> um, and the other thing about Danny that relative to Robert is the, probably the biggest overarching risk you have is arth rheumatoid arthritis in terms of long-term strategies that you want to avoid. Obviously, you don't have it now, but you don't want to get it either. And, you know, I specifically looked at which genes you have, and I, I do this for everybody, right, when I'm doing these DNI consults, and it's not like, oh, you've got a rheumatoid arthritis risk. Um, that's not, you've got a rheumatoid arthritis risk in this gene, in this gene, in this gene, so here's what you can do about it. So okay. the, the, the main, you had a couple different pathways that were involved. So if you had rheumatoid, it wouldn't be as easy as saying, oh, it's definitely this gene, because that's the one, mm -hmm. because you had a few. But the big, the two big categories, one of them was HLA. It's HLA DQA1. So that's, they actually have this thing called HLA typing. You can actually go in and get HLA typed and discover exactly which HLA in your immune system. It's, a, it's basically an immune overreactivity. Okay. And then you can figure out more pre precisely either how to drug it, how to deal with it with supplements, diet changes, things like that. If you had rheumatoid, even if you had a hint of it, that would be a good strategy. But Another one, another risk that you had is the gene is called ITGAV. It's uh, uh, it's related to basically, you know, angiogenesis. That's the big pathway for ITGAV. And so, in other words, blood flow into your joints. You know, it's probably not as as back and forth as most people. You know, or as it is for you, Robert. So, one of the best ways to increase blood flow: infrared. Infrared oh. is specifically associated with uh, angiogenesis. ITAGV is problems with angiogenesis. You want to bring that up. So if you had rheumatoid, that would be another strategy. I would look at the HLA stuff. I would look at the, uh, I would do infrared and see if that mitigates it. It should. And I'm not flagging for that at all. You're not flagging for any of that. Correct. Um, yeah. 
No, in fact, you didn't have, so usually people either don't have a risk, they have an osteoarthritis risk, or they have a rheumatoid arthritis risk in terms of their joints. Obviously in the training section, I'm looking at joints, that's a big factor. Um, osteoarthritis is when your ligaments and those tendons just basically wear out. They break, they kind of break down and, and the bone just starts rubbing on bone. Then it hurts, right? Joints hurt when bone's rubbing on bone. That's osteo. Rheumatoid is different. You have all those ligaments and tendons. Your immune system starts attacking them. That also hurts, but that's a different mechanism, right? Than just bone on bone because of wear out. Mm -hmm. So if you happen to have the risk for osteo, you guys don't. Osteoarthritis, if you have that risk, you want to know which gene it is and then what the problem is so you can build those ligaments and tendons back up. Sometimes it is infrared, sometimes it's collagen for the building blocks, sometimes it's something else, Calcium heavy boron. metals. It can be all kinds of different genes. But again, you guys don't have that, so I won't even need to use that as an example. Um, you also had a higher risk for gout, Danny, which you also did not have, Robert. I'm killing um, you right now, bro. <laughs> I know. Oh, I love this though. These natural bodybuilders, like, you know. People are like, "Oh man, you have such good Stupid genetics." Genetics, right? <laughs> no, and Robert, you you honestly do have really exceptional, rare, exceptional genetics in in That's a awesome. lot of these categories. That's good. Which is that. an advantage, right? It doesn't mean like the thing that people oftentimes don't realize: if you've got crappy genes in a lot of ways, you can compensate, especially if you're really in tune with your body. A lot of people, you know, I'll say you need to especially take magnesium because mm -hmm. of this gene or you really need to take whatever and then they say you know it's funny i've learned that just basically biohacking or tinkering with my own body you know i took magnesium felt a huge difference and stuck with it so basically just sometimes being in tune with your body will really be helpful i mean i think doing the dna is a way better shortcut because mm -hmm. you don't have to kind of tinker for 20 years and yeah. figure all that out but for people that are observant it, it is a it is a great strategy. I mean, it helps. It certainly helps, you know, to overcome those gene problems. And then they can compete with you in bodybuilding contests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Performance enhancing situation. But in terms of your gout risk, Danny, um, that's another issue, right? So you've got a rheumatoid risk and then a gout risk. So if you had joint issues, you don't want to completely eliminate gout as a factor. So you have a gout risk, and then you had a hyperuricemia risk, meaning oh, yeah. the uric acid is potentially higher in your blood. It's going to be higher than the average person in the same situation, dietary and stress situation. Um, that gene is SLC2A9. It basically just transports uric acid into joints. Um, so you can do these, so these serum urate tests and whatnot. There's a lot of strategies for lowering that. I don't want to get too far down that. Yeah, I've been hole, taking, but. when I learned about that, I started taking L-citrulline because I, I read mm. that L-citrulline helps clear it. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And that's another thing, too, I like. I, I love it when people, when they find their genetic issues, the reason I give these reports with all the details and which genes they have is they can go back, because I'm not an expert in all 25,000 genes that we have, right? But if I had some rare gene... You know, it's better that you do your own homework for your own rare gene because I can't do all the right. homework for all the genes. Yeah. But at least it's the tools, you know. Yeah. So that's a great, it's a great example of the power of genetics, I think. So moving back a step towards blood pressure, because that's still within the training category. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm checking blood pressure genes. Some people have high blood pressure. It's related to lipin. Some people have high blood pressure related to uh, angiotensin. Some people actually have high blood pressure relating to salt, frankly, but it's super rare. 
Yeah. So the whole salt thing is way over exaggerated, super rare. Most of the time you have a reduced risk for high blood pressure relating to salt, protective genes in that regard. Um, Danny, uh, Robert, no blood pressure risk genes again. Danny, you did have one. It's a plus minus, so I'm not super worried. I mean, you're athletic. Exercise always is the best medicine for that stuff. But your plus minus risk gene for blood pressure, if it started to creep up, it's nitric oxide synthase, number three. Okay. Once again, infrared. You know, and super what about good. sauna too, right? Saunas, sauna can lower BP. Most, and I think the best is exercise, though, relating to nitric oxide. You should get on that, bro. Yeah, yeah you should start exercising. Start exercising. <laughs> <laughs> After we get off here, as soon as you have to off. change your life. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, of course, I check pain sensitivity because some people have real high sensitivity to pain and they stop working out way before they should. I know I have that gene. Yeah, no, yeah. You, no, yours is normal. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought yeah, I had yeah. a, a you guys lower... You normal. Some, one of the softwares that, that I used said that I had an increased <laughs> risk, like I had a lower no. pain threshold. Which no, like, there's a number of genes to check, but overall you're both normal. Okay. Some people have uh, low sensitivity where they don't feel pain and then they get injured oftentimes because uh-huh. they don't feel the pain, right? Hmm. But the high sensitivity is the big problem because people stop working out before they should. Yeah. Because they feel pain, but it's just kind of train through pain, it. pseudo pain. Yeah. yeah. But again, you guys can trust pain, you know? It doesn't mean it, it basically if you have pain, trust it. Yeah. Kind of feel it, you know, don't overtrain, don't work through it too much. Um Let's see, Robert, you did have a glaucoma risk gene that's obviously not going to come up at younger ages. For the most part, age is always the highest risk factor for glaucoma. But um, the gene is called LOXL1, L-O-X-L-1. It's copper dependent, so copper in the long term for avoiding glaucoma. It's a plus-plus gene, tenfold higher risk for glaucoma, pretty common. Copper, real important for protecting against that. Collagen, also really important as a building block in that specific gene. So if you, you know, even not, not a factor for another 30, 40 years, but if you started to have issues, your eye doctor starts complaining, I would really prioritize copper and collagen consistently. Right now I wouldn't worry too much about it, but it's probably something to add to the list, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. I don't supplement with collagen though. I probably should. Yeah. It's a good one. I mean, it's good for everybody. I love collagen in general, but again, for that gene, I think it's really important. A lot of people don't count collagen in their macros at all because it's oh, right. not a complete protein. But, I mean, it's not empty calories either. No, it's, it's full of glycine especially. Yeah. But the, the amino acids aren't very insulogenic or glucogenic in any way. Like Glucogenic. Collagen. Yeah. 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 From what I've read. I'm a huge fan of collagen. Um, so relating to sleep. So we'll switch topics and talk sleep for a minute. And we both are terrible. <laughs> no way, you guys are great. I mean, the first thing is you got the aura. We all are wearing the aura yeah, rings. Yeah. We're all twins here, triplets, aura <laughs> rank triplets. And uh, that's always the conversation in the morning when we first wake up. We're all pulling out our phones looking at the aura data. Just so I slept really good last night, by the way. My sleep score was 85, which was the highest it's ever been. Mine was poor. Mine really. was 70. I had over an hour of REM, an hour and a half or something, and I had like 30 minutes of deep sleep. I had two hours of deep and an hour and a half of room. That's yeah. like literally my highest day. See, but he slept in while Danny and I got up to do some <laughs> hog hunting. <laughs> Even if it was only for 30 minutes extra. But you know, I think it's the cabin, man. Like when I sleep yeah. at the cabin, there's like, I don't it's think just. about work. I don't think about anything. I'm just able to disconnect. But at 525, because the alarm was at 530, I started to get antsy in bed. I woke up mm. a little bit because I, I had to, there has to be something where... I, I, you know, have I don't have any of the other symptoms related to something where, you know, like 
uh, frequent urination, but I think it's because I drink a ton of fluids. So I, I, I got a, I woke up a little bit because I, I had to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Well, and I had a terrible sleep score. Mine was like 50. Really? So I was the worst of all you guys. But I think it's because I shot a wild boar last night. And I was <laughs> right at dusk, you know. And, and I literally pulled, I pulled it across the field like 200 yards to bring it over to where we could find it. And so, and I, I do a lot of sprinting when I hunt. So, You're I mean, right, right before the evening, I, you know, I struggled last night. Um, just relating to sleep, some people have a lot of sleep problems. And then they have a lot of genetic issues with sleep. And it's really, uh, you can target those issues and really help people. Some people have a lot of sleep problems and they have no genetic issues. And a lot of that comes from their childhood, epigenetic, marks on top of the DNA. They've had a nightlight blasting in their eyes when they were a child for years and years, a TV going in the background, whatever. And that can really imprint on you and really have long-term consequences. It's difficult to overcome some of that. But just in terms of the genetics, right? I mean, that stuff is hard to predict and hard to hard to basically burrow in on and solve mm -hmm. but um danny you've got increased memory performance even on low sleep like your brain does pretty well your memory consolidates pretty well even if you don't sleep well but you had kind of a yin yang on that one because your body you had a plus plus for really needing full eight hours of sleep oh. more so than most people and that's fairly rare the gene is called bhl he 41 so ridiculously long gene name. It's expressed in the suprachiasmatic nucleus, the SCN. It's inside the hypothalamus, this, this gene that regulates how long, like sleep duration. And um, it's in, responsible for controlling circadian rhythms. It's the, that area of the brain is right above the optic nerve chiasm, like where the optic nerves cross. So obviously light more important you know like basically how your brain responds to light is super oh, yeah. important for your skating rhythm more so than most people and actually both of you guys had a plus minus tyrosinase gene and that's the, basically the blue light sensitivity gene so if you were plus plus you'd be super sensitive to blue light and really throw off your sleep you guys are plus minus it definitely throws your sleep more than the average person I could tell. um so i think everybody blue light's detrimental before they go to bed but for you guys it's even more so and if you had a plus plus, it would be a whole step up. But you guys are at least equal in that regard. But Danny has more blue light sensitivity because of that that gene that's involved in circadian rhythm. It's a good thing you're wearing your blue light blockers right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in terms of the memory performance, you had reduced memory performance on low sleep. So for you, sleep is really important for your memories, for consolidating your memories. It's literally probably about 25% less if you have low sleep. Really? But what, what constitutes low sleep? Is like the full eight hours actually what I need? Uh, usually for a research study, they would they would do an extreme. They would have somebody like four hours of sleep, or, or you know, it'd probably be below six hours. Yeah. yeah I think they, they compared in one of the studies I read is five hours to eight hours, and those were huge. And it wasn't even looking at genetics. It was just in general. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. do you see that a lot of people, is that a... Pretty it's pretty common, common for people okay. to have memory issues on low sleep. But here's the coolest thing. You've got that gene. It's called Kibra, K-I-B-R-A. And if you do happen to have those uh, day where, where you need your memory to work, which is probably all the time, but, you know, and you get really poor sleep or low sleep, nicotine actually cuts that one off at the knees. It's like a targeted supplement that they've shown to increase Kibra. So it targets that specific thing. So I should get some nicotine gum. Nicotine gum. Dude, I got is some in good, the car. I'll give you some. It's a I good hack it. just for that situation. Right? See, like I, I gave up gum, man. I don't know if I could go back to chewing gum. Like, I was addicted to it. They got patches. They got lozenges. <laughs> just get patches. <laughs> yeah. But again, 
sleep is the ultimate, right? Like you don't yeah. you don't want to just go with nicotine all the time. It'll eventually catch up to you if you keep doing low sleep just for that, you know, yeah. that hack. But there's always that one day, right? So it's not really a long term solution, but it's a, a one day solution, I think. So have have the nicotine the day where I'm taking in something that I would where need you have to memorize. That low sleep. Yeah, yeah. If you happen to have low sleep, I mean, this is what this happens, right? This is this is one of the differences between people that are awesome at test taking and super and poor at test taking if all else being equal right i mean some people are just they work harder they study more whatever but all else being equal you get stressed out before your lsat your sat your mcat whatever you have poor sleep and then you still do awesome right and then the next guy bad kibber gene right poor sleep they're taking the mcat they do terrible they're 25 percent less you know that sort of thing wow so those situations nicotine is really a performance enhancing necessity <laughs> I think, because you don't want to mess that up, right? The only other unique gene in this re- in this whole topic for uh, Robert, you're an early riser. You're plus plus for being an early riser based on your period, uh, your PER gene. It's a circadian re- regulator. Does it make it? It makes it makes him like push push forward in his circadian rhythm. So like, he gets tired earlier too. Uh, and wakes yeah, up earlier. Yeah. And it's just more important that you you follow that circadian rhythm, I think, because I've been thinking. I was actually thinking about it this morning as I was drinking my coffee, watching the river. Is like I want to improve my sleep from what it is currently, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about you know trying to go to bed at like eight o'clock in the evening, waking mm-hmm. up at three in the morning. And you wake up at three anyways. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. So that's three to four usually. It's pretty extreme as it is. <laughs> yeah, but I'm thinking about getting one of those light alarm clocks where the light. That's what I use. You like it? I use an app. I love it. That's the only way. So it's to just go. an app on your phone. Yep, it's an app on my phone. I can't remember what it's called. That would be but it gradually it gradually lights up. Yeah, I want to get that for sure. So that's kind of like simulating the sunrise. Exactly. Because, yep, yep. And most people would do well because a lot of people don't know this that especially people like us we wake up before the sun rises so. It would probably be beneficial for us to add that because that's with the light. It probably wouldn't get as high as simulating the sun, right? Yeah, it'd be advantageous though, because I don't like jolting up from an alarm clock. Exactly, it's probably not optimal. Uh, For me, terrible. Is it? Man, that's. I think. I mean, I don't. Good to know because I, I, I I I like. I've always been the type that when any alarm goes off from when I was young to now, I'm just like jump right up. Yeah. Yeah. Not me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I jump up, but it's like, like not a pleasant way it's to jarring. rise, you know. Like, the only time I jump up is when I'm going hunting or fishing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, something so exciting is looming. Yeah. So I almost forgot we should talk detox. Oh, detox. I got bad ones there. So I had to pull up. Yours is definitely more problematic than, <laughs> than Robert's. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. In fact, Robert, you're in the upper echelon, man. <laughs> like you it? basically didn't. You did have the MTHFR issue. Yeah. You had a bunch of plus minuses on the MTHFR. And that was so the one we talked about with regards to That's a methylfolate. Okay. So like folic acid for you would be more of a problem. You want methylfolate. Gotcha. You know, Do you, because your body just doesn't deal with folic acid. So you have 35% less efficiency in processing uh, folic acid. So just get like a methylated folic supplement exactly. and, and avoid folic acid, both of those things. Because yeah. folic acid for him would probably trigger a folate deficiency, right? And what is yeah, that coming yeah, in? Yeah. What, would be like, a, what kind of foods would that be coming in? Uh, spinach. That's where it was MTHF, you got to so take spinach, a methylated folate supplement that comes like in the prepackaged folate that you can use. So, huh. look, so on Amazon, you can search it's 5-MTHF. That's an easy way instead of typing out methylfolate. Or metafolin, yeah. they call it. That's yeah, a sometimes. trademark name. Yep. 
Um, the issue is, right, is folic acid is fake. It used to be patented. It's made in a lab. Um, it's not found in nature, ironically enough. And your body has to convert it to methylfolate in order for you to use it. What is it used for? Making DNA. You don't make DNA out of thin air, right? It's one of right. the building blocks for making DNA. That's why it's so important for women that are pregnant. And by the way, this is like the, the miscarriage gene. Women that come to me, they've had a bunch of miscarriages. They're really struggling. Almost inevitably, they've got the MTHFR gene. I mean, 90 plus percent that's of the time. That's bifida too, right? That's a big one. Yeah, if you're super deficient. But what happens is the doctors are telling everybody to take folic acid, right? And then yeah. if you don't deal with folic acid very well, like you don't, right? Or if you and you got a bunch of plus minuses. Some people have plus plus, like straight up, and that's and I do personally, by the way. Wow. So. I noticed a massive difference when I took it. Well, if I have any miscarriages, and we get bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but exactly. So because you're a bodybuilder, right? Yeah. You want to be able to build up those muscles. You need to make a lot more DNA than the average person. It's more critical for you. Sleep is another big one. Like sleep, if you looked on Amazon reviews, 5-MCHF, and then you find like all 5,000 reviews for the supplement, and there's a ton of them because a lot of people use it and love it, 5-MCHF. Sleep and depression. Those are the two biggest Depression ones. is a big one, yeah. And Just I have... list after list of testimonials on that. I have plus minus, but I do notice that if, if we run out of folate, I'm I'm the lower in terms of... Um, you don't have too much issue. Yeah, but not only that. Yeah, so and in my house, like prioritizing who needs the folate the most. <laughs> Maura it's needs rationing it. folate in yeah. their house. <laughs> yeah, because the boys, like the boys have it. Oh, we're out of folate. What are we going to do? <laughs> I, can't, I can't have it. Yeah, like when we're low, Maura's like, you can't have the folate. We're low on folate. We're low mm -hmm. on the metafolin. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you only had one plus minus on the A1298C. But I noticed, though, with my mood, if I'm not taking the folate, I'm a little bit more edgy, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. But Robert, you've got three plus minuses. You've got the A1298C, you've got the uh, C677T. So I just need to get this methylated folate supplement. I think it's Methylated worth doing. B vitamins, because they can all B be methylated. Totally. They're all methylated. Because some people, Maura has a B12 uh, methylation problem. Yeah. And that's yeah. why she's always weak. And you, and, and that's a perfect timing that you said that, because you also have that B12 issue. You have the MTRR, methylene tetrahydrofolate, homocysteine, yeah, metal transferase. I just started taking a B12. So B12 is also more important for you. Probably That's probably the biggest. Methylated though, right? Because Methylation as you have. You need uh, to get a methylated B12 or not really? Not necessarily, but like it's not as important as the methylfolate. Yeah. But I would just get the, get I would the get the multi-B complex that has a methylfolate and they usually have the optimal versions again go to my website you can find that version that i recommend i've done a lot of research on it i look at third-party certifications i look at all that stuff thorn you know. is the one that, did you put thorn on there i can't remember for that particular one thorn <laughs> to be honest for everything so i like thorn they could but they've had stuff. some pretty bad like if you look at labdoor.com they've had a few products that have had really bad third-party reviews oh, really? okay, that's good to know. for certain products because i used to just recommend them globally but again Every company's different, every supplement's different. You know, I don't just have a long list from one company because of those, some of those third-party tests. That's you good know? to know. But going back, just switching over to Danny then for a second, specific to Danny, he needs the B6 a lot more importantly. Mm -hmm. He's got a couple, he's got a gene called BHMT, betaine homocysteine methyltransferase. Another word for betaine is uh, trimethylglycine. Oh, okay. Right, so that, the problem with having that BHMT gene issue is you ha ha tend to have elevated homocysteine. So you've got a couple inflammation related risks, right? The CPR we talked about way before, and then you've got the homocysteine elevation risk. If you're not taking 
glycine and or choline and or zinc. Okay. All three of those are probably, especially zinc and especially uh, trimethylglycine. Maybe that's why I do so well with alpha GPC. Probably. I do. I like yeah. some people take it and they say, oh, I don't feel much, but I'm like, yeah, I feel yeah. really good with it. Exactly. And that, that's that's a great point is oftentimes, like, for example, liposomal glutathione, right? People take glutathione or they do the infusions with the IV and they mm -hmm. don't feel different. I look at their genetics and they don't have any glutathione issues. So it's really not that big of a deal. But then you've, when I find people that have glutathione gene issues, I usually tell them they're probably going to be high responders or they already come to me and they say, look, I'm a super high responder. This is amazing for me. Right. So it is really predictive. And a lot of scientists aren't willing to tell you that. Right. Because scientific studies are usually more messy. You know, when they because they lump a million people together and they're all mixed and matched and they don't have they all have different genes and then they test glutathione. But then there's people in those groups that are good responders, hyper responders, poor responders. And then they find a tiny difference in the overall outcome of the study. And people a lot of times, especially scientists, use those studies to kind of basically look down on the the valid you know the value of using liposomal glutathione or zinc in your case because they want to make it simple and say yes or no instead of it yeah depends. and they don't they don't understand I, I feel like they should understand right these scientists should understand the complexity of these interactions and these studies and how unprecise they are because the ideal study would be have a group of people with glutathione issues and then you give Do them plus DNA. or minus glutathione Right? And then you have people with no glutathione issues and do plus or minus glutathione, and you'd see almost no no impact there, but you see a big impact in the first group, you see? Those what kind about, of studies will be done in the future, but they're not being done yet. What about instead of doing that, I think, wouldn't it be a little bit more um, efficient to just administer a DNA test along with everything? Because then you I mean. could just stratify that's exactly, them. Oh, that's exactly, okay. that's what I'm saying. Okay, yeah, that, yeah that's Start with the DNA test, stratify. stratify. Yeah. Yeah, and then if there's people that have plus minuses, you just basically either put them in a separate category or take them out because you want both extremes, especially. Mm -hmm. And when they do those studies, right, they, there are a few studies that, that do that. And then sure enough, you know, they find, they find the predictive value of the genetics, you know. But most of the time, they're just lumping big groups of people together, and it gets real messy, Yeah, you know. So anyways, BHMT, SHMT1, you've got some homocysteine, B6 important, zinc important, right? Um, in terms of vitamin D, you guys are both pretty good. You had some plus minuses on your vitamin D receptors. Both are similar actually in that regard. So you tend to be a little bit lower than average, but not nothing too crazy, you know? So it's, it's important for you guys, but not as important as somebody who has real issues with it. So if I was like living in a different area, like a like up north, I'd probably deal with, I'd have to really be diligent in the winter months. Yeah, and, and actually, I'm looking at it again. Danny, you do have a plus plus on your vitamin D receptor, actually, I forgot. It's called BSM. The gene is called vitamin D receptor BSM. So you actually do have, tend to have lower vitamin D probably and less uptake of vitamin D. So I would go like 10,000 I use a day for you. Oh, okay. So get even you up. I mean, the have sun you checked your blood? Uh, it, um, it is enough. It's, if you're getting, if you're not getting sun, I'd love to check because uh, there's a lot of talk about that right now with vitamin D. The 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 ranges, the healthy ranges. I think yeah, what is it yeah. above 40? Yeah, is yeah. a healthy range. But like, it's it's so it's so silly. I think a lot of people there's the problem with having these intermediate ranges and calling those ideal is. It's a long-term thing. It's a hormone, and it has these long-term impacts, and most of the tests are done within six-week windows. And so they're saying, 
oh, between, if you're 50 or if you're 70, there's no difference. Because within our six-week window, we didn't find a difference. The problem mm-hmm. is, after 20 years, there is a massive difference. But who is studying that, right? Oh, yeah. Right. And I mean, I just stated that as a fact. It's, it's not been studied. You know what I mean? Like, but I'm telling you, if you did a 20-year study on somebody who is 50 nanograms per mil or 70 nanograms per mil or 100, you'd find benefits going up. And the reason I think that, I mean, I'm really convinced of that, even without the data. I'm just, and the reason that is because it's natural. I mean, people that are living in, around the equator in these tribes where they're living outdoors all the time, their average is 100. Wow. They get up to 120. What would be the That's detriments a, of having low vitamin D? And, and well, the average American is 30. Yeah, okay. What about tannin beds? Tannin beds bring it up, yeah. So as long as you're not frying your skin, right, and getting all that oxidative damage and you can't recover, it's just like overtraining, right? You overdo the sun, overdo tanning beds, all that, then you're getting a whole separate set of problems. Oxidative but, risk. Yeah, but yeah. as long as you're doing it within reason, you're bringing up your vitamin D, you know, you're having Making a lot sure of Making sure you got to take it with K2, right? You gotta... K2 is important because it helps to make sure you don't Absorption. calcify your arteries. You're not putting calcium in your arteries. That's the problem with getting way too high is you get too much calcium in your arteries. But again, as long as you're up, you know, they're finding people without any supplements that just are really healthy living outside up at 100, right? Like, and it's hard to get to 100. Yeah. (laughs) I I know a lot of people take, they can take 15,000 IUs a day and they test like two months later and it's like a blip. They're like 70. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it doesn't seem like it. Wow. But I, yeah, some people have substantial vitamin D receptor issues. Does the some sun have, have a better issues. effect? It, that's my impression from what I've seen. Yeah, I always tell people like in the summer, don't worry too much if you're outside a lot. But if you're super, you know, if you're cloistered and you're indoors and you're at your office all the time. So it kind of play beer, right? How much sun you're getting, that sort of thing. But again, you guys are pretty good. Danny, a little bit less so, but you know pretty good the other the only other one i mean again you guys detox really well so that's another reason not to worry too much about the alzheimer's because you do pretty well with heavy metals your glutathione genes are really good the only one that uh, you have a risk for is the superoxide gene or a problem with the superoxide whereas you have got to uh, of course have a good one <laughs> superoxide it's called sod2 is the gene superoxide dismutase number two um that's a gene involved in getting rid of these you know, reactive oxygen species, right? You've heard of uh, superanol. Ross. Ross, yeah. exactly, that kind of thing. And superoxides involved breaking those down, and yours doesn't function optimally. Another reason to take zinc, first of all, but also to try glutathione, liposomal glutathione, because it should work better for you than it would work for Robert, for example, because glutathione is an antioxidant. It's your body's main antioxidant. Right. That could probably help with the CRP issues too, right? If I if I found that I had high CRP, yeah, yeah, okay. that's a good point. So, but other than that, I think I think that's pretty much you know the categories that I wanted to cover for you guys and compare. You know, we could do five hours on this pretty easily <laughs> and go really into the details, but I don't want to get too specific just to you guys so that the audience relates. Yeah, I think the main takeaway here is just that. I'm more superhuman than Danny. <laughs> <laughs> and most of the natural bodybuilders are. Unless um, they're really unless they're really specific about, you know, finding their genetic flaws and optimizing them. That's the only yeah. way they can compete with guys like you. Now, this is interesting though cuz I I never really looked into genetics. I think a lot of people they get genetic data back and they just like throw their hands up in there and they say don't know what to do with it, yeah. they don't know what to do with it or 
okay, I'm not, I'm not going to be good at endurance, so I'm not going to do it. There's so many, yeah. like, environmental factors that you can manipulate a good that bring you to the goal, you know. And the other problem with a lot of these reports is they'll, they'll have page after page after page of 1.2-fold increased risk for this, 1.5 increased risk for that, 1.3-fold increased risk for this, That's right? Prometheus. Yeah, <laughs> and the problem with that is, as a scientist, when you repeat those studies they're usually not robust. They, those tiny significance differences, they go away. Mm -hmm. But if you start getting above a two-fold increased risk, like your glaucoma risk, ten-fold increased risk, then when you repeat those studies, those are real robust, two-fold or higher. So for me, I just kind of make that a cutoff and say, yeah, you know, let's stick with higher sub significance. Yeah. And try and look at those specifically so we don't get overwhelmed with things that are probably meaningless. And that's right. what I was telling Anthony was that, you know, when I got my Prometheus, like, it was just too much, you know. And it, it, yeah. you do need someone you know what folks like are. you to really help, like, break it down. Yeah, and part of it is pathways, too. It helps to understand the pathways and how they intersect with each other and the biochemistry. I mean, like, the G6P, right? Like, if, if you tell a scientist glucose 6-phosphate or G6P, they know exactly what you're talking about. Because that's, like, fundamental. You memorize glycolysis. You know, you memorize these pathways. It's fundamental. But for the average person, that's way overkill of TMI. So to, uh, to bring this full circle here before we... I think we're about to go shoot some pigs and catch some, some fish, blow some stuff up. Um, but... For anybody interested in kind of analyzing, because I, I do think it's incredibly important people approach this from an individualized standpoint because, like like you pointed out, what, what one supplement works well for somebody else may just be expensive urine for another person. So right. where can people go to find out more about you and kind of study up on this? Yeah, it's ajconsultingcompany.com. Terrible URL, terrible website name. <laughs> ajconsultingcompany.com, I like it. Yeah, I get emails saying, like, I tried AJ Consulting Company, comp, or I tried AJ Consulting and I didn't find you. It's like, well, uh, AJ Consulting Company. And it's only because <laughs> I was lazy back in 2010 when I started the company and I didn't do a lot of, I didn't know what I was doing, number yeah. one. And I, and I also didn't want it. I tried a few different permutations and somebody had bought those websites, so. That's what I ended up, consultingcompany.ajconsultingcompany.com. That's the easiest place, yeah. And Danny, where can they find more information about you? <laughs> <laughs> DannyVega.ms on Instagram. We got the Fat Fuel Family podcast, fatfuel.family. Very cool. It's a great show. That's awesome. Fine. Well, until next time, y'all, have a good one. We'll go, Cheers. We'll go take care. This is going to have to be a regular, regular occurring thing, I think. Cheers. 100%, man. Cheers to that. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you.